Thank you, Faith Church. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. I bring you greetings from friend, my wife, who's recovering from back surgery, doing really well, but was on full speed grandmother duty this weekend and also unable to to do the three and a half hour drive over one way and then back, but she sends her greetings. Um, I spent time just this last week with a good friend, Scott Bridges. He's a co-worker of mine with Mission in North America, and uh, he lives in the Athens, Georgia area where we live, uh, and he heads up the Unity Fund, which is a fund that we are growing. We're seeking to build an endowment to provide opportunities for minority candidates for gospel ministry among us to receive scholarships for training to provide associate and assistant pastor positions and church planner positions for minority candidates in the PCA, uh, and, um, and, and so that we become, by God's grace, a more diverse group um, in the gospel. And, and I said, Scott, how are you doing? And he said, uh, well, you know, I'm doing okay considering that, you know, um, we're living through a pandemic like 1918-1919 Spanish flu, and uh, we are sort of living in a crisis financially like the Great Depression or the Great Recession of the early 2000s. Uh, and we are experiencing both um, civil unrest and, 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 and kind of backlash to that around racial oppression uh, like the civil rights movements of the 1960s. And we're getting that all of that together in three months. I said, wow, yeah, it is a hard time. It's a unique time. It's certainly the most unique time in my life. In a space like this with that much brokenness, not just around me, but what gets exposed in me, right, about my own fears, about my own doubts about God, about my own racism, about my own love of money more than my love of God, you're going to have to have a doctrine of evil. You're going to have to understand the way evil is present in the world, in the church, even in your own life as a Christian, if you're going to make it right now. You're in a great study on the parables. The parables are all about life in the kingdom of God. Jesus says over and over and over again, the kingdom of God is like this. It reminds me of Bach. I'm a, I'm a Bach lover. I listen to Bach all day, all the time. I'm Bach 24-7. And one of my favorite Bach pieces is the Goldberg Variations. Mr. Goldberg was a patron. He couldn't sleep at night, so he invites Bach to write, commissions Bach to write for him. And Bach comes up with these 30 Goldberg Variations all around riffs off of one simple melody. Well, when Jesus tells these parables, they are riffs around the melody of what the kingdom of God is like. And this parable we have today, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, is his riff on the kingdom of God is like this. My goodness and my righteousness is growing in the world and in you, but evil is there too. And you're going to have to understand how it is there. And deal with that all by my grace. So, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Let's hear God's word kept 
for us across the ages. Matthew 13, we're going to begin reading in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bide them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then down in verse 36, Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds and of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, great three in one, We worship you and adore you today, and we thank you that your love to us is everlasting and continual, and you love us so much that you shoot straight with us about the reality of evil, even in this season when your kingdom has come and is growing. You tell us to pray, Lord, may thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but you tell us also to pray, Protect us from evil and the evil one, that we not be led into temptation, but be protected from your great enemy and from his evil. So, Lord, both of these things are true in your kingdom. You are king. You are growing righteousness around us and in us. But, Lord, evil is there too. It's even still inside of us as sons and daughters of your kingdom. Help us to understand this. Help us to embrace the good news here and live by faith in the great hope of your gospel. For times especially like this, when life is really hard and we're confused, Lord, come and encourage us. Pour out your love to us afresh. We pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 
Well, I've been married to Fran now 34 years. We just had our 34th wedding anniversary a couple of months ago. And one of our kind of ongoing discussions, if you will, is she will just get exasperated with me and say, Paul, you just want me to be plastic. Like, you just want me to think you are perfect and tell you all the time how great you are and that everything you do is great and lie to you. And I said, no, honey, it, it, it's not quite like that. I want you to think that I'm all great and I do good all the time and that to be true and not a lie. <laughs> oh, that would not be good news because that would be full of lies, right? She is a loving wife who shoots straight with me about where I really am and my ongoing need for forgiveness and grace and renewal in my life. That's what Jesus does with us. You know, I'm, we're newly grandparents. We have a two-year-old almost next month and a four-year-old to be in September. Granddaughters, they're both one and three, about to flip over the calendar. And they are just delights. And one of my favorite things about being a grandfather is that I get to watch all the old kids' movies again um, with my granddaughters. And they'll just sit in my lap and just... Soak it all in. I'm two of my favorites. I just saw again with them this week. They've been with us all this last week. Is I saw Sleeping Beauty, the 1959 version. It's amazing. Where Prince Philip hacks his way through the thorns around the castle that Maleficent has put up. He escapes from her dungeons and fights away on his steed and hacks his way through with the sword of righteousness and his shield of truth and he slays the dragon. Maleficent becomes a dragon, right? And he wins his way through and climbs the staircase and kisses Aurora on the lips and it's love's first kiss and she wakes up and the whole kingdom wakes up and they come downstairs and they dance and kingdoms are united and they celebrate and feast and it's wonderful right don't you love that I love watching Robin Hood the old um, animated version from Disney in the 70s uh, in which you know everything is so bad and so awful until the rightful king comes back until King Richard returns and then Robin Hood doesn't have to rob from the rich and give to the poor anymore because everybody shares and there's flourishing in the land and Robin and Marion can marry and celebrate and everyone can be glad. That's what I want. I want that from Fran. I want those images in the fairy tales. I want that from Jesus. I want the fullness of all of the blessings and perfections of his kingdom now. And guess what? I'm not going to get it. You're not going to get it until he comes again. Right now, we've got to deal with the reality of evil in the fabric of things. Even in life, in the kingdom of God, there is evil. What do we do with that? This parable helps us here. Now, most of the parables... Uh, have sort of three main characters or three main concepts or ideas that you sort of work your way around. And this parable is just like that. Let's kind of process how we deal with evil in the kingdom of God. First, think about this parable from the perspective of the farmer and process the reality that evil is allowed by the king in his kingdom. King Jesus allows evil 
in his kingdom. This parable, we've got a lot of help here. It's very unique. You have this teaching from Jesus a little later on that gives more insight to what is going on. He says, I'm the farmer. The son of man is the farmer. That's me. And I sow good seed. I'm about growing wheat. I'm about making a beautiful harvest. But I've got enemies, one major enemy, and his workers who have come in and they have sowed weeds in my good field. And there are weeds now growing in the middle of my wheat field. Now, Jesus, when you, when you, if you've been in Sunday school, if you've heard sermons like this, what you often hear, and it's so important, it's a great teaching, that these are ancient constructs, these parables, that would have so connected with first century people, like a farmer sowing seed, and, or, or like somebody going out and, and, and putting seed in the ground, and different kinds of soil bear different kinds of harvest there, or, you know, this is what happens when a king comes and his subjects relate to him, or this is what happens when a wedding is given in a place, so this is how a father relates to his sons. Here's the deal, though. So often in the parables, there are all of these connections, but there's often something that's very jarringly different than what you would expect. And here's the jarring thing in this parable. If you were a wheat farmer, you would do everything in your power to get rid of any weeds in your field. You would uproot them. And this farmer says, no, let it be there. Let it grow. That would have been jarring in that agricultural culture. You know this enough like with your own garden. If you let the weeds grow, man, they're just going to take over. You wouldn't do that. Jesus does. So the big question is why? Why, why would God do it that way? Why, why does God, if Jesus has come and inaugurated his kingdom, preached the good news in his person, lived it out by living for us and dying for us and rising again for us and pouring out his spirit for us, why doesn't he bring it all in now? Why isn't it like Sleeping Beauty? And he's hacked through the thorns and kissed the bride and won, him for, won her for himself. Why? why? Why don't we get everything now? Why is there evil? Why would he do it this way? Why one more millisecond of racial oppression and injustice out in the way we do things systematically or in my own heart? Why? Why does he allow me to cave to my convictions, to, to my addictions one more time, no matter what my convictions are? Why, does it, why, why again do I cave to the lust or the greed or the envy or the sloth or the gluttony? Why? Why, Lord? Here's the thing. The Bible invites you to ask God that question. The Psalms are full of language like that. Why, Lord? How long, Lord? Why are our enemies defeating us? Why are the wicked prospering and I, your person trying to live in righteousness, am struggling? They're fat and full and I'm wasting away over here. Why, God? Why? It's fine to ask that. God even invites it. But at the end of the day, what this parable teaches you, first of all, is you're going to have to trust the farmer, the king, the son of man, Jesus, the son of God, in the middle of evil, 
being even in your kingdom experiences with him. Ultimately, you're not going to get answers to your questions. The answer he gives you is trust me. Lean in. Trust me. This season has been so hard. That trifold thing like crammed together of the pandemic and, 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 and all this upheaval around the realities of racism in our culture and the push for greater equity there and all of the financial turmoil in the marketplace and the millions of us losing our jobs, right? And there's more to come. There's more to come, right? You're either in this space going to be thrown into leaning into Jesus more or you're going to be prone to walk away. The good thing about this time is you're either going to trust him or you're not. And he's inviting us here with this parable. Trust me in the middle of the reality of evil around you and in you. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. The rest of the gospel story invites us and fills us out more here, right? And says, how can you trust him? Because look at the cross. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest event of injustice and racism included in it. In all of history, it is hell come to earth. And God makes it and uses it to bring heaven to earth. I love the resurrection body of Jesus Christ because his scars from his passion and his cross are there and are part of resurrection glory. And you can trust him that your struggles and your sufferings and those around you in the world will somehow be a part of his working. The enemy is doing the evil, but God will work it together for good. Somehow, some way, lean in, trust him. That's what the farmer teaches us. What about the weeds? Not only is evil allowed, we've already alluded to it, right? Evil is growing in this present era. Do you hear the parable? It's stunning. It's even more jarring than letting the weeds be there. He lets them grow. As the crop rises, the weed is growing, but the weeds are too. Here's the thing. To be people of wheat, to be sons and daughters of the king, there's going to be weeds all around you. There's going to be weeds even in you. And they're going to be growing. And you're going to have to deal with that. So the first thing that that means is, is that in terms of getting engaged in the life of the kingdom, the worship of the kingdom, the community of the kingdom, the mission of the kingdom. I love Jason bringing that out. Everything your church is about. Worshiping the king celebrating life together in the king, serving in the pathways of the king's mission. If you are waiting to engage those things deeply, worship, community, and service, 
until the weeds all get pulled out of your life, you're going you're gonna to keep waiting and you're going to wither away. Jesus wants you engaging the life of the kingdom even when there are weeds growing up all around you and even inside of you. Think about the greatest servants in the New Testament. Think about Peter. Not only does he just flop around and fumble around and stumble around all through the Gospels, even when you meet him at the end, the last time that you meet Peter at the end of his journey in the New Testament, yes, he writes letters that maybe come at the very end, but the last story about Peter in the New Testament is in Galatia, where he's there and he's decided because he's afraid of what the Judaizers are going to think about his eating habits, eating freely and not keeping kosher and eating with Gentiles. And he gets afraid. And Paul says, Peter, you're going back and eating according to dietary law? You are obscuring the gospel. Peter's the great father of the faith. And Paul has to call him out publicly on it. That's the very last time you meet him publicly in Scripture. How about Paul? He's full of all kinds of struggles and problems. The one that sticks out the most to me is, is that, that Paul doesn't want to take John Mark with him on his second missionary journey because John Mark, you know, had a hard time on the first one and decided to go home. And Barnabas says, let's give this guy another chance. He's wonderful. He's growing like we are. And Paul says, no, I don't want him. And it splits Paul and Barnabas' ministry forever. Think about David, God's shepherd king. You always think the worst thing David did was, you know, his, his thing with Bathsheba and killing Bathsheba's wife, Uriah, and lying to cover all of that up. It's not remotely the worst thing David does. The worst thing David does is at the very end of his journey, when his pride causes him to number the troops of Israel, and in response, 70,000 people die to a plague. That's the very last story about David in 2 Samuel. There are going to be weeds. There are going to be weeds around you and in you, but God says, I'm still going to grow my weed. I'm still going to grow my righteousness in you and through you. Engage the life of my mission. Don't wait to completely sanitize your whole walk with me before you get started. Engage. I was just with a friend this week. I just learned some things about a dear set of friends of mine this week, husband and wife team in ministry that I had not known before. And the husband was sharing about... um, the most effective thing that he thinks his wife does. Um, And he said, you know, when we go to a place and we minister to all kinds of churches, particularly she ministers to pastor's wives. And she says, when I sit down with a group of women in a small group setting or one-on-one especially, one of the first things I say to them is, now I want you to know something about my story. When I was 19 years old, I had an abortion. And so whatever it is you think you have done in your life that pushes God away from you, you're not going to top me. And not only am I just a murderer in my past, I still do murderous things now. I don't love in his name. I have hateful thoughts. I have racist issues. 
I'm not promoting life in all the ways I should. I still struggle with murder. So I'm desperately looking for grace. Why don't you lean in with me and look for grace too? See, in this season especially, we've got to treat each other this way, this reality that not only is just evil around us and present, but it's growing. These are hard times, and they expose the hard, difficult realities about our own lives and our own sins and brokennesses. About eight weeks ago, I stepped up as the leader of Mission North America. Uh, everything was, was sort of coming unhinged culturally in responses to the death of, of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Armand Arbery. And there were all kinds of positive responses to that and all kinds of backlash negatively around that. And, uh, and I just made a decision over the course of a weekend. We're pivoting at Mission to North America. We're going to change the stuff we're doing and putting out virtually. We're going to have a series of webinars on racial brokenness in the gospel. These are the speakers I want. I want a whole African-American panel to lead these next conversations and discussions. And so I have all these wonderful ideas and thoughts and prayers and I talked to the other two old white men that lead our ministry together with me. And we planned this all out over the weekend. So then I go to my African-American leadership team. And I tell them what I'm hoping we will do. And it's just crickets and silence. And we end up getting into this extended, over the next couple of days, long set of conversations around which they're saying, Paul, I know you're trying. And I know your heart. But do you see the racism even in what you've just done? You decided as an old white man what we need to do as African Americans in helping others understand the African American experience. You didn't ask us. You planned it yourself and handed to us. And it's just like it's always been. Oh, they were dead right. I wanted them to think I was great like I want Fran to think I'm great. What I needed was, Paul, do you see the weeds in your life? But then they said, as I, I repented toward them and toward God, they said, Paul, we've got to be gracious with each other, especially in this time. Because as we step into these things, we're going to stumble and bumble about, but we are all looking for the sunshine of the Lord's grace to bear truly good fruit in this. And they have loved me in such beautiful ways. And they went on to present a series of webinars that over 30,000 people have watched. One other point on the weeds. Not only are they going to grow and we're going to have to deal with that and love each other well with that and be authentic inside of that, why is the farmer willing to take his time with the weeds? Why does he do this jarringly different thing? Because the weeds are described as zizania, is the Greek phrase. It is a fungus that grows in wheat fields that looks to a layman's eye exactly like wheat. Looks just like wheat. So why is the farmer willing to take his time with this and be patient and let these things grow and run their course? Because you can't at the beginning necessarily tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds. And the wisdom of the farmer is 
to let this stuff play out over time. We have to embrace that wisdom. That's why the primary direction in your spiritual journey is not to yank out everything that you think is awful and give yourself all kinds of pats on the back for what you think is good because you may actually be mistaken about that like I was about the webinars. And our key is simply to put ourselves in the sunshine and the rain that the farmer provides so that we can truly grow righteousness in his likeness. Which brings us to the third part of the parable. Evil will be there. Evil will evil be growing. But ultimately, evil will be destroyed. When you think about the wheat, the wheat is going to ultimately grow and be gathered into the harvest barns of the farmer. And the wheat will be pulled up and destroyed. What is your primary calling as a Christian? To live before the face of God. To not pull out everything that's wrong about your life. To not waste your life, and I really mean that, with radical introspection all the time. It is to live before the face of God. Drink in his means of grace. Drink in his sunshine and his rain. You get to do that in just a few minutes. Drinking it from scripture. Drinking it from fellowship. Drinking it from the sacraments. Drinking it from prayer. And let him grow his good wheat in you over time. And know that he may use you to help others that lives are just full of weeds become part of the wheat fields themselves. He loves to use us, broken, imperfect that we are, to bring other sons and daughters into the kingdom, other sheep into the fold. For the tares, by his grace working in and through us to become his wheat. Let's embrace this life Let's understand the reality of evil. Let's understand even that it's going to grow. But Jesus is ultimately taking this to his ends. And may he grow his righteousness in us more and more and enable us to share in his mission. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We praise you for this time. We pray that you would in your kindness, O Lord, feed us even now on your sunshine and rain at your table, that real wheat may grow in us. Lord, help us to be patient about brokenness and evil and sin in us the way you were patient with us. Help us to be patient when we see it in others, to know that you may have a plan there to, to work all that evil for good somehow over time, to make those tears become wheat in your kindness. Lord, help us not to spend our lives trying to sanitize everything, but engaging in mission as your people filled with your mercy, sharing that mercy with others. Mercy to sinners. Mercy to sinners saved by grace, just as we are. We pray it all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.